That is good news. Could you imagine if God expected us to come to him not as we are? I mean, I, uh, maybe that's not too radical a thought for you. Maybe, maybe you have come to God just as you aren't <laughs> before, uh, thinking that you have to sound more religious or uh, sound better than you are. And, but the good news is God knows. God knows exactly who you are. You don't have to pretend. Uh, you don't have to act more religious. You have to come to God honestly, and he knows. Uh, allow me to ask you a question, a, a big question. There's a big question mark for you. Uh, and it might sound insulting at first. Is God foolish? Is God foolish? Well, the, the quick answer, I think, for most people is, you know, no. I mean, God's, God is not a fool. Of course not. Even the atheist might concede that if there is a God and it's an almighty, eternal, all-wise God, he surely, God wouldn't be foolish. But if I change the question a little bit to ask, is God foolish to forgive people like King David of his adultery, his sexual sin with Bathsheba, and his conspiracy to murder her husband, Uriah? Some might pause and say, yeah, I don't know if he should have forgiven that guy. And that's the story we're going to consider today. God's forgiveness, meeting David just as he was in his brokenness, his sexual sin, his murderous sin, and God forgives him. So we are going to consider the mercy, the offer of mercy, the offer of forgiveness that God gives God is a forgiving, merciful God. And, and seeing and believing in God's mercy is truly life transformative. And I think people talk a lot about God's forgiveness. Uh, but David, we're going to see here, really experience God's forgiveness. And I pray you have too. And maybe today someone will realize in their heart that they, they've heard about it, they've thought about it, but they haven't really experienced it or received it, Right? And I hope as we hear David reflecting, praying, giving thanks for God's forgiveness and mercy, that we will experience the very heart of God. God is a merciful God, the scriptures say, Old Testament and New Testament. He's merciful, meaning he's kind, and he doesn't treat us as exactly like we deserve. We deserve worse, right, for our actions and sins, but he's kind and merciful and forgiving. And so... This is indeed not foolishness. This is the deep wisdom of God, which may seem foolish to the world. But when we experience it, we are nearer to God, uh, and that will deepen our gratitude. Let's, let's pray as we dive into God's word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the author and perfecter of our faith and our life. And so you alone, Lord, should be rightly feared. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. You are the God who knows everything that we've thought or done. And you love us still. You are merciful and forgiving and We ask that your Holy Spirit would use your word, your scripture today, to help us to see, hear, experience, and to taste and see how good you are. 
I pray that your people would be praying for themselves, that this would not be an empty religious exercise or just church attendance today, but that this would really be them meeting with you and your spirit and that they'd be praying for each other, that they'd be praying for me and other preachers, that your word would be declared, that your people would be built up, that your light would be shining out into this world, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Psalm 51 today. Uh, we're having psalms each of the Sundays this month, and Psalm 51 is a psalm of David, and it's in reflection to when David was convicted of his sin by his, his prophet, uh, or the prophet of the time, Nathan, uh, and David's sin was that he had had an adulterous affair with a married woman, Bathsheba, uh, and, and then had her husband killed and there's more to the story that we'll talk about but this is in his reflection of getting convicted of that sin and calling out for God's mercy and forgiveness so let's hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah or excuse me Psalms Psalms 51 have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then bulls will be offered on your altar. Well, this is the word of the Lord, David's reflection 
of his need for forgiveness. David has an absolute need for forgiveness. The story comes from, whoop, we spelled Samuel wrong. The story comes from 2 Samuel 11 and 12 in the Old Testament. And in this story, David doesn't go out to war with his troops. In the time when, when they went out to war, he didn't go with them. So he stayed home and all the, all the young men and able men were out fighting battles, right? And here David is at home and he sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof uh, and sends his staff to go get her, uses his power uh, to take advantage of this married woman. So uh, he has his way with her. He has a sexual relationship with her. She eventually becomes pregnant. He then calls her husband Uriah off the, off the battlefront to kind of, in a lying way, to ask for updates in a sense. Uh, and he, he, he tries to get Uriah to have, to have relations with his wife, Bathsheba, Uriah, you know, but Uriah has so much honor that he won't even go sleep in the same bed with his wife. He, he, and, and so he, he doesn't, and, no, and everybody knows that, and so David's got a problem because Uriah goes back to the battlefield having never been with his wife, Bathsheba. So David, what David was trying to do was, he was, it was a conspiracy. He was trying to make it look like the baby inside her womb wasn't really his when he knew it was his. And probably those staff that were involved knew it was his, and and so David had the problem got bigger as he's sinning and lying on top of his sin. And so then he asked the military leaders, hey, when Uriah is in a dangerous spot, everybody just pull back away from him. And Uriah got killed. And that's essentially murder, right? Um, so David's situation, I mean, think of David's situation. This is the Bible. This is the, it, first, it's just humbling that David, as an older man, allowed this to be compiled in the scripture, I think. But... but David, abuse of power, abuse of a person, abuse of his staff, adultery, lying, pride, vanity, you know, not wanting to admit what he was really like, deception, murder, coveting another man's wife, and really false worship, if you want to think about that. He's violating basically most of the Ten Commandments, if not all of them, because he's worshiping himself and his own physical needs. He's using God's name in vain because for weeks as this wasn't, you know, as she gets pregnant and he gets Uriah back from the battlefield, which would take some time, he's surely praying in front of people, right? He's surely going and doing all these religious things. So we know he's using God's name in vain, isn't he? Pretending like he's the holy King David when he should know that God knows what's going on, Dave, Right? Well, he, God uses the prophet Nathan to, to call David to account in, in chapter 12. And, and, and David recognizes his sin. And we see in Psalm 51 here, he recognizes his absolute need. He says, I was born in sin nature. If you read that part, and it said, it sounds like he's blaming his mom for his sins, you know, back to my mother's womb kind of thing. It's my mom's fault. No, he's not saying that. He's, he's saying, I, I'm born into sin nature, born as a broken human. My problem is deep. And this is what Judeo-Christianity has believed, that we have something about our nature that is, that is in need of a repair. We call it fallenness or brokenness. We're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, as another psalm says, and we're made in the image of God, as Genesis says, and yet we also can really harm each other, obviously, right? We also can abuse power. We can, we can pretend to be good with God when we know we aren't. We have this 
these, these deep capacities that go all the way back to our very, our very nature. And it's not because of who our parents are, it's because we're human. And our parents struggled too, right? And, and so what David is confessing here in, in a deep sense for us too, and for the congregation of Israel, he, he, he's saying all sin is against God, really, and against the holiness of God. We sometimes act or pretend like it's just against another person. Or sometimes we just pretend like it didn't happen, whatever it is, lying or speaking a harsh word or, 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 or whatever, a lustful act, adultery like David did, and we try to cover it up, hide it, whatever. But all sin, because God made this body and we're made in his image and we're made for relationship, all of it is against the holiness of God. God's nature is, is perfect and holy. And obviously David is saying here in this song, ours is not. <laughs> I mean, and what's the big deal with just admitting that, right? It's really healthy to admit that, David is saying in this song. We, like sheep, have all gone astray, as the scriptures say. And maybe you have gone astray in a different way than David. But don't kid yourself. Without God's intervention, you're not, you're not just a perfect sheep. <laughs> you have gone astray in some way. But the good news is there is a great shepherd who chases down after lost sheep who, who go astray and brings them home. He, he, there is a good God who knows that no one is righteous, no, not one, right? He knows our absolute need for forgiveness. He knows we need complete and full forgiveness. And that's what David is really describing here. You, you, you heard it, just the repeated pleading for washing, cleansing, blotting out, Right? The repeated poetic language for I really need complete and full forgiveness. He's not saying, God, I will go halfway and you go halfway, is he? He's saying, God, I need all the way, right? I, 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 I need, I need that, that blotting out of my iniquities. Now, forgiveness, I want to be clear, forgiveness is, is not the removal of all earthly consequences, when we make decisions that harm other people or harm relationships, there's often going to be earthly consequences, right? A hardness and communicating again, or whatever it may be. But there can still be forgiveness, and, and there can be forgiveness from God, and there can be forgiveness of people, but there can still be consequences, right? For example, for David in this story, David, that baby that, that was his biologically with Bathsheba, that baby ends up dying. One of the other consequences is this story is in the scripture. <laughs> and if he hadn't done that, then he wouldn't be known as, oh yeah, David, David with Bathsheba that one time, right? And it's part of his story. It's part of his legacy. It's part of something he has to live with. But he also has a choice. How am I going to use that part of my story where I really screwed up? Am I going to tell of the goodness of God? Am I going to tell of his mercy? Am I going to pretend like it never happened? Or am I going to tell the congregation of Israel in a song, hey, it happened. I royally screwed up. It was all me. But the washing, the renewal, the forgiveness was all God. And I experienced consequences because of it. Right? So in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan has to say to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. He says that to him. He says to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, verse 13. But because by doing this, you showed utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. That's tough, right? But that was the consequence for that. It's terrible. There are terrible 
earthly consequences at times from, from sinning. And so we, we're not making light of sin by talking about God's forgiveness and, oh, well, God's forgiving, so, you know, we can just kind of continue in a habit or, or deny or pretend. No, no, no. There's complete and full forgiveness, a true restoration of our soul, a washing and making us righteous, not of our own doing, but there's, there's things that we'll have to work on with others. So forgiveness, though. Forgiveness, full forgiveness is something that God alone can do for us, right? It's a removal of our guilty status with God and a, a transition to a righteous status with God, a restoration of a relational status with God that we simply can't do on our own. If God is way up here, really very perfect, if you want to say that, and we're down here born into sin nature like David, and then we have our sin activities, there's kind of two sides of the same coin. There's sin nature and sin activity. How in the world are we going to escalate to get up to God's presence? By a bunch of good church activities? Is that going to do it? Right? Helping old ladies across the street? Is that going to get us up to the very perfect nature of God? Right? I mean, doing, you know, giving tons and tons of money? What will be good enough? Right? Well, the scriptures say, even as you do your righteous deeds, or, or as David's language here, even if I slaughtered a bunch of bulls on the altar, that's not, that's not what you want if I don't have a right heart with you. If my heart isn't broken because of our broken relationship and how I, how I made light of your goodness, God. Right? The starting place is not you know, trying to do a bunch of good things, because the scriptures actually say your righteousness is as filthy rags. It's, it's never going to be good enough. The starting point is to stay down here and say, I'm broken. God, I need washing, I need cleaning, I need you to humble me, I need you to teach me, I need you to lead me in a different way. And the good news is he says, I will. I want to. I forgive you. And through Jesus Christ, we experience this ultimate full forgiveness, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, if you're not understanding this verse, don't tune out. Because this is life transformative. This is what is true for you in Jesus Christ. For our sake, the Godhead decided to, to somehow, in a way that blows our mind, I'm just you know, kind of paraphrasing, he made Jesus Christ able to absorb your sin nature, your sin activities, though he was not of sin nature, right? Born of a virgin, he was of God, but was fully human. So he had never experienced sin. The scriptures say he was tempted in every way, but knew not sin. So he didn't deserve to die a sinner's death on the cross, but that was the plan because he was becoming the Lamb of God, in a sense, the, sac the true sacrifice. He made him to, to be the sin bearer, the, the one who could take that darkness upon himself, though he knew no sin as far as participating in it. But he became it, right? In a sense, he, he took your stuff, even back then, right? And he took the sin of people who lived before him. Right? He's taking, he took the sin of people who are gonna live in the future too, because that's who he is. That's, that's how merciful he is. And he did this so that in him, through him, by him, we actually become God's righteousness. It doesn't say we actually become decent church members, it doesn't say we actually get entrance into the kingdom of heaven, but God kind of just winks at our sin. It says we actually become the righteousness of God. 
And this goes along with where the scriptures say we become co-heirs with Christ or, or where Peter says we get to be partakers in the divine nature. Because it's so complete and full, do you get it? It's done, once for all, finished. Right? The sin part, but the righteousness is just mercifully given, graciously given to us. We are new creations, as Paul says. The old has gone, the new has come. And, and we, because God is just mind-blowingly good, we mercifully are seen as righteous as Jesus Christ. And our sin and our darkness and our brokenness is left in the grave where he was laid, right? It's complete and full. Do you believe that for you? Because there's no other way. There's, there's no other way. There isn't a plan B option. Right? This is God's plan for you. This is the good news. Right? And it's good because you don't have to do anything except have that broken and contrite heart and believe you need it. So it is radical. God's forgiveness is radical. It's radical in a sense that it's different than how we operate, and it's radical in the, the rooted sense that we talked about last week, where when you're truly radical, uh, you're also rooted, right? You're rooted. So it's, it's, it's deeply radical because it's not how the world operates. We get that, right? It's, it's so, so free and so amazing. It's different. So it, it calls us into a deeper, humbler way of living. That's why we have a king here who is saying, you know what, I'm going to allow this stuff to be written on scrolls by scribes about how I abused my power, abused a woman, got a guy killed, a baby died because of it. But the story needs to be told because God is so good. David had been called into that deeper humbler, vulnerable way of living that, that God calls us into when we are broken and see our need. And, and that's what he's calling the Christian into, being honest before God and admitting that we need radical forgiveness. Proverbs, the Old Testament, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says it this way, he who conceals his sins will not prosper. If you conceal your transgressions, you will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It's not the, the Pharisee that was righteous, Jesus said. The Pharisee was putting on a show one time, and, and then there was a tax collector in the back who was beating his chest. Right? Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that one went away justified. The tax collector that, was, that everybody else looked down on, the dirty, broken guy, right? So who is it here that is really going to be justified? God knows who's coming here today and saying, I really need God, I'm really messed up, or I really messed up. He knows. He's not asking you to pretend or pretend to be religious. He's asking you to be vulnerable, honest. Don't conceal your sins. Admit your your guilt to God. And there is a grief that comes with that. There is a grief that comes with that. Uh, for David, it was actual grief of losing a child, but there's also the grief of admitting your sin and your brokenness, and it's called godly grief. Godly grief. 2 Corinthians 7.10 talks about godly grief. It says, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly gr grief produces death. So worldly grief is like, 
we're worried about our pride, or we have a death of reputation, or, you know, and so we don't, we want to pretend and all that stuff, but godly grief is like, ah, I recognize this is dishonorable, this is against the glory of God, it hurt people, it wasn't, it wasn't honoring to me, or to God, or to others, and, and that godly grief will lead us to repentance, or turning away from that sinful behavior, or that sinful pattern, and that leads to salvation, or wholeness, Right? So the world, this is radical because the world uh, tries to drive us away from bad feelings or difficult feelings. But, you know, there's difficult feelings that are really good for us, including this one, which we could just say is conviction, right? And so if you're somebody who never experiences conviction or in all your relationships, it always seems like the other people are wrong, that's death. Watch out. You should ask for a dose of godly grief, right? Because it's, it's like John said in 1 John. If we go on and we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So you know, part of the regular Christian life is admitting and asking, admitting sin and also asking God, where have I fallen short today? It's looking at the Ten Commandments and, and routinely saying, am I falling short of that? It's looking at the teachings of Jesus and saying, am I living up to those? Where have I not? It's looking at our relationships and listening to people when they say, you know, you act like a jerk and, 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 and say, I'm sorry, forgive me. So that is part of the Christian life, right? And if we, if we pretend it's not, we're not just not doing Christianity in an A-plus way, we're making God to be a liar. That's what John says. Not my words. John's. Okay. So, forgiveness is our rootedness. There is is no other uh, option but to say forgiveness has to be part of our life as a Christian. There's no, like, unforgiving Christian option. You've got to be someone who is forgiven and then someone who who offers forgiveness. It's just really clear in lots of Bible verses. And this is humbling, but it is truly our strength as Christians. And it does make us very different from many in the world, right? We, we need this to be normalized Christianity because this is what is biblical normal is forgiveness, is receiving forgiveness and offering forgiveness. But I don't know if you've looked around lately. I don't know if it's like our normal normal. <laughs> um, and it should be for believers. We should be people who, who want to wound our friends. Or as Proverbs 27, 6 says, and I think, I think we're going to have it up here, maybe not. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We love our emojis, don't we? We love fake feelings. That's what we love. Because it's easy. We love fake kisses from, an, from, from folks. Really, fake feelings mean somebody's against you, not for you. True friends will tell you when you're being a jerk, right? And so we need healthy enough relationships in in our families, in our marriages, in our Bible studies where we say, hey, you shouldn't act like that. And will it hurt a bit? Will it wound? Yeah. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. Because true friends do it for a good reason. Not to cause hurt, but to expose and, 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 and help with that godly grief that allows somebody to turn away from that. 
And we need to give thanks for friends like that. I know I am thankful for friends like that and a spouse like that. And even, I must admit, kids like that who call me on my stuff. Right? We are, are not just in a, a, a Christian life to get to heaven. We are in a life to become, this life to become more like Christ. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4.32. He said, to be kind to one another, to be tenderhearted and forgive one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I will tell you openly and confess I'm not there yet. I, 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 I'm not as forgiving as God was in Christ towards me. And so I have work to do. And I imagine each of us should say, I have work to do as well. But the good news is, he will transform us as he did David. He will humble us. He will convict us. And it is really him doing it. It's Christ doing it. It, it, it. Hebrews 9.28 says it this way. He says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's already dealt with the sin. But what he wants is people here on earth who are, who are being prepared by his, his love and his forgiveness, awaiting the day when we can be reunited with the God who perfectly loves us, completely forgives us. That's what your life is about, is, is being prepared for that day. But pre- preparation doesn't look like just sitting around or becoming an expert on the end times. It looks like becoming humbled and being a person who, who normalizes forgiveness and confession in their life. Forgive as he has forgiven you. So, I know that I am still on this journey uh, and will be until he comes back or until I'm taken up, right? Uh, and I have found myself, and I hope you um, find yourself praying exactly what David prayed here. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Because I know there's been plenty of times where my heart has not felt clean. My spirit needs to be new. I would just encourage you to pray that prayer. Some of you know this, there's songs that go with that, that very verse, right? And I resonate with David when he's saying that he wants to hear joy and gladness again. Hear joy. Have you ever been in your life where you're so stuck in a behavior or uh, some kind of brokenness, maybe uh, broken issues with another person and and it's your fault or whatever? It's messy, right? And when you're in one of those messy, sinful stages of your life, have you ever been in a place where joy just doesn't sound the same? David says, I want to hear joy and gladness again. Sin and brokenness has a way of making our soul spiritually deaf, right? And that's no place for us to live. But the good news is God. God can free us and we can can have a fullness of life again and, and life will become more colorful in a sense or more joyful or more glad. And that's why we can always be thankful for God's forgiveness, right? It's so good. It's so good. He, he cares about us and our experience. He cares about us so much that he wants to be real with us, like he was with David, right? He wasn't going to let David pretend. He wanted to offer him real forgiveness and give David as this, this example for the ages, so that we could be people who, we get, we're going to give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus because we have a forgiving God. 
And if you are in Christ, and I pray you are, I pray you are. If you're not, today should be the day where you say, I want to be in Christ. If you are in Christ, then you have experienced complete and full forgiveness. If you believe in him, it's a free gift, right? So, the takeaway from this is be vulnerable with God. If that's not part of your prayer life, if confession's not part of your prayer life, make it part of your regular prayer life. If you have a hard time admitting wrongs or repenting to others, you need to work on that. (laughs) And God will help you. Be humble and bold with yourself, not so much with others, but step into areas that maybe you haven't before. And believe that as you do this, you can have the security that you are righteous. Not because of your behaviors, but have the security that God sees you as righteous. And so, one of the things you need to know on the journey of forgiveness is don't believe the shame and lies that might come into your mind. Or if you start to express this to people in your family who don't believe they might, they might say, but I know. (laughs) I know this and I know that. Okay. But God says is what we have to tell ourselves. That I've been washed clean. I'm new. And the way to, the best way to combat those lies and that shame is to rejoice. To not just hear the joy, but to sing of joy and gladness again. And then to teach others, as David says, to teach other transgressors his way and to give others the gift of the peace and the joy of forgiveness. Oh God, we, we thank you for your forgiveness. It may look foolish to the world. The cross looks like foolishness to many, but for those of us who have received the gift of new life, Through your death and through your resurrection, it is not foolishness. It is utterly baffling and so amazingly good. So we thank you, dear Lord, for your forgiveness. And we can always thank you for your forgiveness. Deepen it in us. Help us to receive it, to practice it, to repent quickly and whenever we need to. And help us to teach others your ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.